Our second scripture reading is from 1 Peter, chapter 2, verses 3 through 10. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. The word of the Lord. Well, good morning to you. It's great to be with you again. If I haven't met you before, my name is Matthew. And uh, I have been here a few times now over the past few weeks and months. And every time I come, I love being here. So we're going to spend a little time thinking about um, being sent. And we're looking at the fifth habit from Michael Frost's book, Surprise the World. It's a lovely little short book. I rather appreciate short books now. I don't know if you've ever noticed, but most Christian books basically have one idea. And I think this is the way it works. And somebody comes up with an idea and they go to the publisher and they say, I've got this great idea. And they say, well, let's have a look at it. And it's a short book. And the publisher says, no, I need something a bit longer than that. And so they kind of expand the book. But actually, it's really just a short book that's a little bit too long. So I like the fact that Michael Frost's book is short. It's a great book. And if you haven't read, do have a look at it. And really, he's looking at habits that will help you share your faith. You've looked over the last um, four weeks at bless, being a blessing, eating, that's good news, look at me, I like to eat, learning to listen better, learning to learn. And we're looking at the fifth habit in his book, scent, being sent. And I like the fact that Michael Frost calls them habits. Habits are behaviors that are performed automatically by repeating them. To create a habit, you basically need to repeat the behavior over a period of time. And then it becomes effortless. It's not something you have to think about, it's just something you do. And apparently, research tells us it takes an average of 66 days to form a habit. So a couple of months, two or three months of doing something, and it will become habitual. You won't have to think about it anymore. I spend a lot of time trying to teach my children good habits. It's very effective. But I teach them, look, if you can do this and learn to do this, then you won't have to think about it anymore. Your life is going to become a lot easier. So we're thinking about that fifth habit in the book, helping us share our faith, which is learning to be habitually sent. 
And the word that is used in the scriptures for sending, to, for being sent, is the word missio. And Frost points out that the English term mission comes from the Latin missio, which means to be sent or to be ejected or pushed out. It's not a soft word, it's quite a forceful word. And the God of Scripture, as we read in the Scriptures, as we read about our God, our Father in Heaven, we read of a God who is a sending God. The creation of the universe begins by God sending His Word. And then once the universe comes into being, God sends His Spirit, and the Spirit of the Lord hovers over the waters and begins this extraordinary process of ordering the creation so that life comes. After humankind disrupts the creation by his disobedience, God then sends his only begotten Son, Jesus, into the world. So God, in Jesus Christ, becomes in himself sent. And then Jesus tells us, his disciples, those who are following him, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Turn to your neighbor and say, you are sent. <laughs> it's not really a choice. It's not like I get to choose, am I sent, am I not sent? It's your identity in Christ. You are now sent ones. But I want you to relax this morning. Because I often find that when you start talking about mission, that actually what's really going on in a group of people gathered like we are this morning is we're going, oh no. Not more Christian stuff. Are you going to ask me to do something else? I'm already doing my level best to help the church, to serve in the church. I turn up on Sundays, and now you want me to do something else? Well, perhaps. There is no doubt that in the sense of being sent, God might call you to do something that you've never done before. He might be sending you somewhere where you've never been before. But also, God is teaching us to live as sent ones where we already are. With the people we already live with. In the places that we work, eat, play. And I hope we're going to see, and we're going to have a little look at... Um, Peter's letter, 1 Peter, to a group of churches who have been sent, as it were, into Asia Minor. Asia Minor is sort of roughly modern-day um, Turkey or part of modern Turkey around the Black Sea. And I hope that we're going to see in this letter that what Peter is really trying to teach the sent church is who they are, what their identity is, to learn how to live as sent ones in the place that they have found themselves. And we're going to see three things. I want to bring three things out of the text. That becoming a sent one is learning to bring the presence of God wherever you are. It's about presence bringing. Secondly, it's learning to bring the peace of God wherever you are. It's about peace bringing. And thirdly, it's learning to bring the praises of God wherever you are. It's about praise bringing. Presence bringing, peace bringing, and praise bringing. If we can form those kinds of habits, then we will be living out 
or learning to live out our identity as missioed ones, sent ones. So would you pray with me, and then we'll have a look at the text. So Father God, this morning I pray, as, uh, as always, that it would be you who speaks loudest, that it would be your words that we hear in our hearts. But for each of us here this morning, as we attend to you, as we focus our attention on you, that, Lord, you would call out of us the things that you desire from us. Teach us again, Lord, by your Spirit. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're looking at 1 Peter 2, 4 through 10. Um, if you have a scripture or a Bible, do follow along, or you can look at it on your phone, but we're going to have a go at having, putting the scriptures up on the text, uh, on the screen as well. Just to remind you, this is Peter writing. Peter is um, uh, addressing various churches who've been sent, as I said, into Asia Minor. This is Rocky. Rocky, Peter was Rocky. Peter means rock, Petrus. And he is Mr. Foot in Mouth. He was always the first one to give Jesus advice on what to do next. Have you got anybody in your life like that? Always ready to give you advice? But he, like all the other disciples, Peter was sent. And he was sent not as one primarily who believed, not primarily as one who had a truth that he wanted to share, but in the way that all the disciples were sent. And this is what they constantly said. We are witnesses. The disciples went into the world as witnesses to what they had seen and heard in Jesus Christ. In his second letter, Peter says this, For we do not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're not telling stories here. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. This is what we saw. Peter was an eyewitness to Jesus' resurrection, but also spends three years with him, walking alongside Jesus, watching what it means to live as a sent one in the world, because Jesus was sent. And it's very interesting to me that Jesus never traveled very far. It's actually stunning how small, if you will, Jesus' world was. People disagree on the exact mileage, but roughly speaking, Jesus probably never traveled more than, some say as little as 35 miles from his perfect place. Some say a bit more, 75, maybe 100. But he lived as a sent one in a relatively small area. No short-term missionary trips. No international speaking engagements. And in case you think that's just because of his time, well, look at what Paul did. Paul traveled all over the, uh, the known world. But Jesus was sent to a fairly limited area. And he begins this letter by reminding those who have been sent into Asia Minor of the reason of their hope. Oh, you better, sorry, he begins his letter like this, sent into their context. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, I don't know if we can bring this scripture up, to God's elect, to exiles scattered throughout the province of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ. So he's talking to a group of churches in quite a wide area. They're living in um, quite a broad area. And he's not addressing a particular issue. A lot of the letters in the New Testament, when you read them, are addressing problems in the church. This is not doing that. He's trying to help these churches as they experience their context 
their particular place in the world, what they are supposed to be like in that place. How are you supposed to live where you are? So he's not encouraging them to leave where they are, go somewhere else. He's saying, this is what I want you to understand about where you are now. And then he goes on to remind these exiles for the reason of their hope. In his great mercy, he says, he's given us, Jesus has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. So he begins his letter by saying, look, this is what's happened. This is what has happened. This is the hope that you have moved into. Now, I'm going to tell you who you are because of that hope. And this is really what I want to focus on. Peter continues, now that you have tasted, and we're now um, uh, in uh, chapter 4, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good, as you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. As you come to him, as you come to him, something is happening. You are being built into something as you come. And there's a really interesting metaphor here if you look at the text. Peter says that as you come to him, the living stone, what's a living stone? Just hold on to that thought. You also, he says, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. Why is Peter suddenly talking about living stones? It's quite a daring metaphor if you think about it, because stones don't live, do they? Duh. So why is he suddenly talking about living stones? Almost certainly, what Peter wants to bring to his audience's mind is the temple in Jerusalem. I don't know if you've ever had a chance to visit Jerusalem. I had the uh, opportunity to go there last summer. It was the first time I've ever been there. Didn't know quite what to expect. And then the first thing I did when I arrived, I was staying within the walled city. I thought, I'll wander down to the Temple Mount, where the temple used to be. And so I, I wandered down, and I didn't know where I was going. I was just kind of finding my way. And I was greeted at what looked like the entrance to the Temple Mount by five uh, charming uh, greeters uh, with machine guns. And the machine gun, these guys uh, had a little conversation with me which went something like this. Are you a Muslim? No, I'm not. Then you can't come in. Quite interesting. So I realized that actually there's part of the Temple Mount that is now under a Muslim authority. So I thought, that's, I, I can't come in here. So I wandered around to the bits where it's under Jewish authority. And you have to go through screens, things, and they kind of screen you like that. And then you go down, and I figured out you can't go up until there were certain times. It's quite an extraordinary place. And a little later, I walked up onto the Mount of Olives, which is just outside Jerusalem, and looked down on the temple, and there's this glorious golden dome there, the Dome of the Rock. And it suddenly struck me. This is like I'm looking at the center of the world. The three great monotheistic faiths, Islam, Judaism, and Christianity, this is an extraordinarily precious place to all three faiths. There's an incredible focus on this place. Even now, even now the temple is not really there. The temple in Jerusalem at the time of Jesus was the center of Judaic worship. 
It was the place of God's presence in the world. It was where, as it were, God had sent himself, the temple. And what Peter says now, when he uses this metaphor of living stones is, you remember those old dead stones? That temple, which by the way, in four to five years of the writing of this letter, would be physically knocked down by the Romans. Now I'm going to give you a new and better temple. Jesus the living stone. Everything that was in the temple, the presence of God, is now in Jesus Christ. He's replaced those old dead stones. He is the living stone. But guess what? You also like living stones. You also are now to be the manifest presence of God, to be looked at, to be gazed at, to be wondered at. You see, the first P of your identity as a sent one, wherever you are, is to become the presence of God. How on earth are you going to do that? How do you bring the presence of God into your workplace, into your neighborhood, into your community? Well, let me start with a radical thought. How about starting by praying? What about in your workplace, if you could find one or two other believers and you said, you know what, let's just gather for five minutes, once a week, and why don't we pray for our workplace, whatever kind of work it is you do? Why don't we pray that we would be the presence of God there, that God would send his presence into this place and just see what happens? Just see what happens. I think we constantly underestimate the power of presence. The presence of God. There's a story of a man who was a passionate sort of fellow. He had a girlfriend. He promised to marry. But being a passionate type when his country went to war, he went off to war and every day he said, I will send you a letter to declare my love because I promised to marry you. So every day for years as he was, went, as he was away at war, he sent a letter to his beloved and said, I promise to marry you. I promise. And every day the postman brought the letter. She did get married in the end. She married the postman. You see, there's power in presence. There's power in your presence wherever you are. You are sent. And if we would just trust this thing of the power of the presence that God has put in us as living stones, as the new temple, then I think we might start to see things happen wherever we are. I'm learning to live more presently, more present wherever I am. I think it would be a great thing, and forgive me for saying this, but if churches will put their offices in cafes, simply being present. I heard the story of um, a man who's come to faith simply because he worked in a co-working space and there was a church who also rented offices in that co-working space. And they just got to know each other. Then he started to hear, he started to see them. Now he's in church. The simple power of presence. But then Peter goes on. He says, as you continually come to him, becoming this temple, the presence of God, wherever you are, that's your identity as a sent one, something else is also happening. You are also being built into a new role in life as sent ones. As you come to him, the living stone, that's Jesus, 
rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. You also, like living stones, you're now the new temple, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. Do you think of yourselves today as priests? Is that what you thought this morning? There's a great quote by a guy whose name is totally unpronounceable, so I'm not even going to try. Something like Shmimim or something like that. And he says the reason for these colors and the priests who stand up at the front is not because they've got some special gift or even particularly that they have a special role. No, this is to remind you of your role. That when you look at the priests in the church, you're being reminded of who you should be in the world. As you come to him, you're being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. What's a priest, you say? I'm glad you asked. Very interesting to look at the birth of the priesthood. You really see it in Israel, in the story of Exodus. You can see it in the book of Numbers. In Numbers 16, you get the story of Israel coming out of slavery in Egypt into the Promised Land. And there's a moment when the people are grumbling and groaning. Can you imagine a gathered group of people, a church effectively, grumbling and moaning? I'm sure that never happens here. But they're grumbling and moaning about what's going on. And they basically, God gets to a point where he says, I've had enough of you all. I've had enough of you lot. I'm going to basically wipe you out. And in desperation, Aaron, who's Moses' brother, Moses is the leader of this people, he goes and he intercedes for the people with God. And basically this is what it says. Aaron stood between the living and the dead. Aaron stood between God and the people and interceded and pleaded on their behalf. You see, a priest is one who stands between God and man, between the living and the dead, and makes peace in himself between the two. And if you think about Jesus Christ, that's exactly what Jesus does. He makes peace between God and man in himself. And Peter says, guess what, you guys, you living stones, you temple, you presence of God in the world, you also are going to become in yourself that peace. You are going to become peacemakers between God and man. So the second P of being sent is becoming peace bringers. And by peace, I don't mean what we often think about. Peace often means for us pacifism or some kind of somewhat uh, you know, passive thing. Peace here means that word, that beautiful Hebrew word, shalom. Rightness. Right relationship with God. Right relationship with each other. Right relationship with the creation. We read one of the servant songs from Isaiah a little bit earlier this morning. And the servant songs point to a figure, a person who will bring this shalom to the world. He will bring justice and righteousness. And the servant is a kind of mysterious figure. We're not sure in Isaiah. It's an Old Testament book. Who is this servant? Perhaps the church has always understood he's foreshadowing Jesus. But guess what? If he's foreshadowing Jesus, he's also foreshadowing us. We're also to call to be that. And in that servant song, there's an interesting phrase where basically 
God says to the servant, says to us, I will keep you, I'm going to look after you, and will make you to be a covenant for the people. We are to become a covenant for the people. What is a covenant? A covenant is something that binds two things together. So we are to become in the world the ones that binds together, not break apart, but bind together. Bind together God and man. Bind together person to person. Bind together families. Bind together neighborhoods. We are to become peace bringers in the world. How do we do that as priests? Peter will tell us. We offer spiritual sacrifices. What's the sacrifice? Who's the sacrifice? A goat, a ram? No, you and me. We become the sacrifice. We're the living temple, we're the priests, and now we're also the sacrifice. To bring peace, reconciliation, justice into whatever context we find ourselves. That means your home, that means your workplace, that means your neighborhood. It doesn't necessarily mean leaving. It might be exactly where you are. That you are the one to become in yourself a peace bringer. At whatever cost. That's what it means to be a sent one. So your task as a sent one is to become increasingly present to God and to others. To become in yourself shalom for the sake of others. Becoming, actually as we will do in a moment, celebrate. Become broken bread for the world. So that God's peace will come. And then finally Peter says you've got to do one other thing. If you're going to understand what it means to be sent into the world, you've got to be one who declares the praises of God. I was traveling up um, in Northern California. I love California. I think I should go to the West Coast, really. It's beautiful over there, if you've never been. And I love Northern California. And as you travel up into Northern California, you get these extraordinary redwood forests. Have you been there? Incredible trees. And there's just an extraordinary wonder and awe as you travel among these sort of giants. These giants. And I was traveling with a man called Joe Ferranti. Joe Ferranti is a pastor. And um, we went to, you know, there's that tree you can drive through and you can go through in your car. I'm not sure you can actually drive through it anymore, but it's at least big enough. And I was there with him and we were standing looking and there was another guy just standing to our left. And we fell into conversation with him and it turned out that he was some sort of uh, geneticist and he was a geneticist for plants and so he was looking into the detail of you know the cells or the DNA of plant life and uh, so we were falling into this conversation and chatting about you know these extraordinary trees and then at one moment Joe Ferranti with a very slight and sly smile said looked up and there was a pause in silence and he just said isn't creation wonderful and we kind of sense that this guy was probably not a believer not because he was a scientist, but just because of the way he spoke. But as soon as Joe just said that little phrase, isn't creation wonderful? The whole tone of the conversation shifted. And it became a conversation about the extraordinary sort of synchronicity that this scientist saw in the world about how unlikely life really is, how beautifully balanced the creation now is that it would allow life to come. Just by that simple statement, that praise. 
And Peter says, this is what you're supposed to do. You are a chosen people. You've been chosen to be sent. You've been chosen to be part of a church. You're a living temple. You didn't choose this. God himself did. You've been chosen to be a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. That's what you're supposed to do as sent ones, wherever you are, wherever you find yourself. Can you do that? And declaring, yes, it can mean spoken words, of course it can. A little later in this letter, Peter says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks to give the reason for the hope you have. Do it with gentleness and respect, but be ready to speak when you need to. But I think we can also bring our imaginations to the task of declaring the praises of God. Psalm 19 says, the heavens declare the praises of God, to declare the glory of God. The vast skies proclaim the work of His hand. Everything around you, beauty itself, declares the praises of God. And I would say one of the great apologetics that the church misses out on in this world is simply creating beauty. Where we create beauty, it begs questions. It begs questions that people want to know about. Why? Why are you creating this garden? Why do you think that it's good to make your neighborhood more beautiful? Why would you do that? Well, isn't creation wonderful? Isn't it? Beauty making is a wonderful apologetic for our faith. And what we're talking really about here is the priesthood of all believers. This priestly, temple, spiritual, sacrificing, praise-declaring role that you and I have wherever we are. Not by leaving, unless God tells you to leave. If God tells you to leave, you've got to go. But if he hasn't told you to leave, you're supposed to stay where you are and become a sent one exactly where you are with the people that you have put around you. Just like Jesus. That's what Jesus did. Jesus, the ultimate sent one, pretty much stayed where he was with the people that he was with and lived as a sent one, the great high priest, the presence of God, declaring and always pointing to the Father. That's what Jesus did. He always pointed to the Father. He just pointed to the Father. Might God be calling you to go and do something? Yes, he could, but let's not play the missional game. Let's not kiss the list of things we're never going to do. But we can, you can, I can form habits of presence bringing, habits of peace bringing, habits of praise bringing. And ultimately, if we're willing to do that, then we can just really hand the rest over to God and see what he does with it. Because ultimately, it's his mission, not ours. It won't cost us nothing. There'll be a bit of sacrifice. But if the theory is right, it'll take you about 66 days to do it. It's not impossible. And perhaps, as Frost suggests in his book, you might want to journal it. What if you actually did this? What if you actually started to practice this, just in very simple ways, and then kept a journal and saw what God did? We might just surprise ourselves and thereby surprise the world. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, as sent ones, living where we live, 
working where we work, among the people we actually know and love. Would you teach us what it means to be sent? Not to imagine it as something that is beyond us. Would you teach us how to become presence bringers, to bring the presence of God where we are, to bring the peace of God where we are, and to declare the praises of God. And we pray these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.